If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Foy and Dr. Drew. Here we are. and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather around the iPhone, get your grandma out of the bedroom and bring the iPad and listen to another podcast of This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob and Bruce. And Bruce Heischober sticking around. Yeah, good times. Yeah. It's better when we have a bunch of people on. I, I think it is better it's not just you and me. So uh, one of the things that a lot of the questions, this is a show dedicated to, to emails and questions. There's 20 million drug addicts out there, so well, I'm sure there's some questions. What do you think about uh, the new laws in California for recreational pot? I, well, first, there's two things going on, two things I view it as. One is a lot of the rehabs are going bust, and everybody calls me for a job, and I'm very codependent with clinicians, and I'm trying. It's been going on for like eight months now. Places are closing up, right? Yep. So... I came up with this idea that the legalization of pot is going to lead to a lot of DUI arrests, and it might I can get those KDOT counselors some jobs in the courts. We're going to have to look at it as an alcohol problem in California. Yeah, same. Like we do, but right. it's but it's not. They're not tooled yet to do it. How do well, they test for it? How, part of the problem is how do they even do a. a how do they even determine driving under the influence? In other words... That's what I'm saying. How yeah, do because, they test because, for it? If you're stoned and driving right now, Bruce, what happens? How do they know whether you're stoned or not? Because you have a breathalyzer for alcohol. Well, no. At the, what point does it impair driving? Right, right. That's even when the, somebody's eyes are red and they're going 28 miles an hour in a 45, they're fucking stoned and shouldn't be driving. Well, but they may be safer. <laughs> Maybe they're a safer driver at 28 and 45. <laughs> I don't know. That's a point. Is at what point does it impair functioning? And it's a, it, and they, it doesn't impair vertebral function. I mean, uh, vestibular function and cerebellum. So a field sobriety test, they should be fine, even if they're super stoned, right? Except I read one study. Coordination is perceived when someone drinks. There's better perception of when they're not in control or when yes, the coordination more is easy. impaired. It's more but easy. Twenty four hour period. Past where someone will say, now my coordination is what it was before, and they did a test, and they found that it took 24 hours until the coordination. This is for alcohol? For No, for for cannabis. Well, so the, the more... problem with alcohol is not coordination. It's problem solving and, and solving in a novel situation. In other words, one of the biggest impairments is if something comes at you that you've never seen before, trying to figure it out and work through it, like a car accident or something, yeah, they're so very impaired is, at that. And the reason but how why do you we, test that? We should, the reason why we need to talk about it as Californians is we don't want to do something that harms others, right? The right. only way I see pot harming others is not the harm that alcohol does, which is violence, physical yeah. violence, right. but it's driving, I'm really concerned about what's going to happen this year. As the first far as year, especially when people stoned start. out but, of their minds driving. Well, what's Colorado done? That's what I don't know. Have they? Have they? I know they've been more more uh, driving the influence sort of arrest. But what do we do with? How do they determine that? How do they find them? Even I, that's I, I don't what I'm saying. Any, I, I there's don't a know. course. There's a course that law enforcement can take, and it's it's a substance abuse recognition course, and they do a combination of field sobriety testing, looking for it's nystagmus. Mostly, it's mostly the eye movement, right? It's most of the stagmus, right? And so I think that's the first uh, first test that they're going to rely on. It. They're trying to develop something that gives you a differential between chronic use and acute intoxication. What difference does it make? Well, and they just want to look for something that's equivalent of a blood well, alcohol. Well, you know, you want to know 8. the old junkie. Wait, I want to answer Drew's question. Yeah. The old junkie in me says the person that's a chronic user of pot is probably a safer driver Possibly. than the young seventeen-year-old who just got wasted. Possibly, on right? Pot. Possibly. I, I think most of the accident victims in Colorado are are pot vacationers, people that just go there and they want to start get using stone, when they get there. right. right. Yeah. I think the concern, but I but there's not you, an age bracket. I think oh, younger I people. Oh, you sure. Know, uh, my concern is when you drop the drinking age from 21 to 18, it affects teenagers. There's more access. Yeah. And now that it's available for recreational use, At I've already 18, seen this. Yeah. 
Well, well I think 21. it's 21. But still, I think there's going to be much more abuse in the, the teen years, and that's where the But problems. wait a minute. So so the, the existing medical marijuana laws exist still, right? Yep. So 16-year-olds have medical marijuana cards. They're getting marijuana anyways. No, 18. No, mom can consent. I had a client whose mom went and signed him up for it. Crazy. Right? Yeah. Because right. they think of pot as harmless, and at least he's not on heroin, and he does it only in the house. This gets to parenting. I'm which just is, saying, to me, it goes to practice of medicine. That's horrible medical practice. Horrible. Right? Yeah. Pot for anxiety? I almost in, in thought it was bad. Old, in a 16-year-old? Oh, How about the fact, have, you, have any of you ever treated a patient in the last 10 years that is a drug addict that didn't have a marijuana card? Oh, yeah. No, they always have them. Yeah, because that's you, the point. So that's, as a drug addict, you want to nail down all your opportunities. I'm just saying that to me is, <laughs> shows how horrible the medical practice is, where they don't even ask questions about drug addiction. They don't even screen for it. Well, I think they choose to see what they see. They see the, the, where it's benefiting people you, and older people. Are and, you talking about physicians that do the, the yeah, recommendations? The I was approached to do that, and I said, obviously, no, but I looked into the rules. The rules and regulations for physicians are that before you can provide a recommendation, you have to show at least one year of failed treatment by conventional medical practice. Oh, but that's for treatment, of, that's for treatment of, of addiction. No, 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 no. No, if you for come anxiety in to get a card, or depression. For anxiety To get a recommendation. So a physician is a, affiliated with the clinic. Got it. And so you have to bring the record, spend it, – it would take an hour with the physician – Five, I have five kids going in, five 18-year-olds going in, and a nink and a, a Right, so they're not practicing medicine. No. That's my point. It's uh, horrible uh, medical practice. Horrible, horrible. It's not medical. It's yeah, well, that's what drives me insane about it. I forget. I, I don't mind medical my marijuana. I mind the people that are right. distributing but it. But my prediction it's is bad. there's going to be a lot of car accidents, a lot of stone drivers. Absolutely. And, and it's going to be, and it's gonna be uh, good in one way is a lot of my people that I've mentored and stuff are losing their jobs because the out-of-network rehabs are closing one after another after another because the insurance industry contracted payment, right? First, you, for uh, I forget who did it first, then United did it. And so these rehabs are going out of business, which is good. They're all greedy fucks that shouldn't be in business. Right. But I feel for the staffs of those rehabs. So I feel like we as Californians have to decide what is stoned, what is a DUI when you're stoned, and we need to have treatment options, uh, you know, alternative sentencing, Drew, in that respect. That's drug gotta court, come. I think drug courts work. I, I don't do know too. Why there aren't more drug I, I had drug court. It's what got me sober. Right? Yeah. So I had drug court before there was a drug court. There was just what a about, judge who really cared a lot. What about the argument <laughs> that where marijuana is made more available, heroin addiction drops? Have you heard that argument? I've heard that. Yeah, I, I think, I think. Have you seen that? No. Well, I've heard it. We, haven't, we don't have enough time to see it, but... It makes sense that will happen. Uh, well, I think we need to do a better job. I know this sounds crazy that Bob's saying this. We need to do a better job at, at the access to opiates in this country in general and California in specific. So I'm not saying we need a war on drugs about heroin and all the what we criminalize everything, but we need to do what we're doing, which is the national data bank, and stop all this opiate prescribing. Mm -hmm. I think it's a sin that the people who really need opiates aren't getting them either, but there's always fallout from chaos, right? So a lot of the people that do need opiates aren't going to be able to get them. Because we're limiting for well, the greater good of the society. I, I've got news for you. The, the goal within the next year or two, and a system, I won't mention its name that I work with, is zero for everybody. Everybody on opiates is taken off opiates. Crazy, right? They're, well, they're, so, no, I mean, right. not for post surgical opiate, right? Post surgical right. No, no, talking pain chronic management. pain, non cancer pain. pain. Well, there is zero evidence that it's a treatment for that. Zero. Bob, zero. I know, but you're talking about like Bob? my mom's friends are like 68. They've been on opiates for 10 years. What are you going to do? Have them detox and go to rehab? That's no, not going to that, happen. That's right. That's it. We've got a problem here. It's no, I, multi-tentacle. I it's multi-tentacle. But the good news is I think that we have, as a society, have to say, what is too stoned to drive? And we haven't even said that yet before we fucking legalized it. Look, same thing with pharmaceutical agents. We don't have strict criteria in that either. But the good news about opiate prescription opiate acts, they don't really want to go anywhere. Uh -huh. <laughs> People stoned on pot want to go to the beach and go do go to a concert. And I think there's going to be a lot a lot of car accidents and and trouble oh, from I that. Think so. All right, let's get some of our emails. This is what we promised to do here. 
What did you take? There's a, there was a ton of questions about trans and trans therapy, uh, transgender folks. Well, Shelley has a treatment center for it. I, I know. So well, here's a question. What is your take on the use of hormone replacement therapy in trans children and teens? I'm a therapist, and I've recently been questioning my ability to be most helpful to trans clients. Many times they present with trauma, but insist on avoiding it and focus on just getting a letter for their hormones. That is a that is heartbreaking to hear that. I don't know what to do with that. I accept if what hold on a second. That we got her part gross negligence or his part. I'm saying to, to do hormone therapy without extensive psychotherapy or evaluation before you start that in a child or an adolescence. And I can't believe you wouldn't treat the trauma. Even, even if you were going to agree. It's too hard. This gets to a point you make. Trauma takes years. Uh, okay. And talk therapy, it costs thousands and thousands of dollars. Hormones cost 80 bucks. Hmm. Which do you think the, our system wants to do? I, I just feel for the I mean, therapist. I'm not being cynical, but. No, but who monitors that? Where's the oversight? Yeah, I, I think he may have, this therapist may have to recuse him or herself from this whole situation. If you If you're unable to do what you think is proper for the patient because of. A system, or a philosophy, or somebody but else, a, other doctor. But a doctor's always going to trump a therapist. I understand, but this therapist should recuse him or herself. Then uh, this, shouldn't they fight the good fight and say, "Hey, you know, once in a while, fight the good fight." They yes, shouldn't do yes, that. Yes, uh, to see if you can get the patient treated the trauma, and then let somebody else make decisions about. Why is that an either or? Oh, well, that's what I was saying. You should you should treat the trauma. I mean, if you're a therapist. We have any feelings but, about that? No, but I know what she's going. She or he? See, I assumed that it was a female therapist. I know what they're going through, which is the client wants you to reassure them that what their doctor is telling them is the right thing to do, and you're putting this bindy bad spot, mm. right? Because I, you, it seems like we're working together. You doctors are working with us therapists in coalition together. When if you disagree with what the doctor's doing, Drew, yeah. What do you do? Uh, <laughs> and the patient's looking to you to bond with more than with the doctor who's... who's the therapist. I, I, I'm just generally troubled with the idea that we don't do <laughs> the hard work on behalf of patients. No, we don't. That, that's what bothers me. Well, the cost effectiveness of it, and it's it's hard. Yeah. But that's insane. That's like just giving Suboxone to an opiate addict and do nothing else. Right. I mean, that's it's right. It's just... It's exactly your response. Well, no, All what right. they I know exactly what they want. And what they want is the therapist just to reassure the kid and everything's good and everything's okay. There's a lot of political correctness and touchiness to this subject. And the therapist is really not supposed to go at the family. What the hell's going on in the family? They're not supposed that to go, this fourteen year old girl wants to become a boy. But, but there's no, that's a no go zone, Bruce, in this world. But but Bob, it's you're not supposed to do any of the customary treatment that you would do in any other situation. It's somehow that by by that the that what this therapist is suggesting is that the point that you diagnosed transgender and want to treat it hormonally or surgically. You cannot do any other treatments. Yes, that's you, what I'm you saying. Don't, you don't do family but, treatment. You don't do trauma no, treatment. You, you don't do, do usual psychotherapy. Psycho support therapy, to, which is just you're doing the right yeah, thing. Good yeah, job, like a yeah, cheerleader. Yeah. That's Until what you start the hormonal therapy, you shouldn't do anything else. Or that's it, what this guy is suggesting. That the, which the, is, you know, so, which is, so, in other words, if you do start the therapy before, then you're you may be accused of trying to change. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's insane. Exactly. All right, I'm 45. I have low libido. My doctor said they would not put me in hormones due to high cholesterol. I have always had high cholesterol. The doctor said I should get back on the statins. They will do, then they will do the hormones. Yes, that sounds just. You should be on the statins with or without the hormones. I think the doctor maybe just be using the stat, the hormone is as leverage t- to get you to do Wait, what but, you need to do to save your life right. and t- from heart attack and stroke. The testosterone cream does the same thing. Yeah, anything that raises your raises testosterone it, level yeah. can affect your vascular. It, it has effect on the lining of the arteries. And but we, and, the cream is less, though, wouldn't it be? Bob, what are you saying? <laughs> you talking? No, about you p- tried to get me to do the cream <laughs> a couple months ago, and I was I looked into it, and I was like, oh, I don't want that stuff. It's the it's less it's <laughs> less blood than level. It's the blood level. Uh, it's the blood level. However, you get there. Whether right. you get through your skin or for the shot, blood level. It's blood like level. shooting heroin or smoking it. Yeah, <laughs> they're both good. <laughs> I'm a 46 year old female. I recently tested for a low platelet count after suffering Yikes. from a 21 day heavy menstrual cycle. So she was having heavy menses because her platelets were low. Is this cycle causing the low platelet? No, or the reverse of possibility? Yes. What other test should I ask for? Uh, I'm worried about bone marrow. This is uh, she. Does, she's 46. Definitely get a bone marrow immediately. 
hum- humbly, I would say. What would you say? It's usually what IT. P or TTP. I- immune thrombocytopenia purple, not TTP. You guys ITP. are doctor talking now. Right, Bring so, it down to me. But, so yeah. I had a friend who had, had the platelet thing, but they're usually in their late 70s. No, no, you can get all Well, you late 70s, it. you worry about much more serious stuff. Because they can bleed out. You, no, it's because it's more more associated with cancers and leukemias and lymphomas and stuff. But but in like, uh, who's the lead of, uh, singer of corn? Uh, jo- jo- Jonathan. Jonathan had this when he was in his late 20s. And you really? Put him, yeah. And you put them on steroids and it goes away. And it's usually no. You put them on steroids, it goes away. Corticosteroids, ITP. prednisone, prednisone, not put, not anabolic steroids. No, 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 I'm not thinking that. I know prednisone, but mm-hmm. but so how does that it's keep, a, it's get a, your platelets to go? The, up? Your immune system is attacking the cells that produce the platelets, the megakaryocytes oh. in the bone marrow, and it's usually a self-limited. In my experience. Right. And it goes, it gets better by itself. Pregnancy's a magic drug, isn't well, it? Well, it was on no. the cover of Life magazine as this, as that. The, the, this is the miracle drug, and they didn't know about all the horrible side effects. What are the horrible side they effects? Your I've skin, been on it two times. Diabetes, cataracts, hypo, osteoporosis, and especially in women, osteoporosis. It, it, It'll just erode your bone. That's we'll crazy. At, oh, not – but usually you just use it yeah. for like two weeks or but a month. But they found even a, co- a single course, there's measurable effect on, on bone. Especially oh, bone Oh, my God. Fitting. The lawyers must be salivating. No. Well, you know, it's they interesting. It depends on the category. Uh-huh. And, they don't know. I mean, well, it's not something people <laughs> sue over. Right? It, it's, it dep- because, because they get the fractures 15 years right. later. It's, they, don't, they don't often associate it with that. But I will tell you, I have African-American male patients that have steroids for various reasons, and they do not have demineralization. So if you're, a, if you're an Asian female, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. It depends on your ethnic and genetic and, and body habitus, I think, because you're, they're more, more calcified. I mean, they're more mineralized. All right, here we go. Uh, hello, I believe I'm suffering from postpartum perf- depression as well as bipolar. Well, we don't know which. I'm extremely overwhelmed and need help at an inpatient center. Oh, well, that's, they want specific referrals. Um, Can we talk about another postpartum depression thing that I don't think is postpartum per se, but it's something that's going on in our society because I watched it in a couple friends of mine and, and it, with Chrissy, my wife, right? Yeah. People think that being a parent is going to transform their existence oh, yeah. and bring meaning to it, yes. and it doesn't. Makes it worse. <laughs> Makes it more stressful. Well, nobody talks about that. Oh, please. It's parents do, don't they? It's before the parenting that you need to talk to people. You need to forewarn them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 This is not going to be a transformative thing. This is kind of a pain well, that's in the why, ass. That's why, I work, <laughs> that's why I got involved with Teen Mom. That's why Because I, I knew that the young people would relate to that and see it then. Because you can't tell them that. You have, they have to see it. They have to experience but I it. Think that, I think that there's a lot of people looking for meaning in our American society. And they're thinking that having a family will bring meaning. Not the role that stewarding pe- children are as the meaning. <laughs> they want, a, they want a, a real bang for your buck meaning. Well, isn't a corollary that having a child, getting pregnant, having a child to heal a relationship? I mean, it's the same uh, insanity. Yeah, same. I think that was a prior generation. I think now they're looking for meaning. Because I'm around all the kid shit, and I look around, and it's all like 20-somethings. It's millennials having kids, the, the ones that we don't come in contact with. Yeah. They have jobs. They're raising families. But you can just see this kind of blank look on their yeah. face, like, what am I doing? Yeah, well, but it also does give you meaning. It also does give meaning. It's a millennial it gives thing. You perp- purpose. It gives you, yeah, purpose. It gives you daily responsibility purpose. no no it gives you it makes your life meaningful in a, in a different way i don't think they're transferring the purposefulness you, to meaning well I, I agree with you probably because i think everybody's obsessed with money and fame like shelly said oh, in the last episode Jesus. it's all about gucci bags and this and that it's, it's all so such bullshit all right here's a former paramedic i have a simple question why would a physician give a patient with congestive heart failure albuterol when the patient's having difficulty bleeding, I was trained that albuterol is contraindicated for CHAF patients. Astute question. What would you say? Well, if they're having uh, bronchospasm, CHF-induced bronchospasm. Yeah, then. So, but he, but he was he was trained not to give patients with CHF albuterol because it might exacerbate the CHF or, or I mean, arrhythmia. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. For a paramedic, he's right. You would not want to really give it. But for a physician, I think they're in a position sometimes to prioritize and determine that albuterol may be worth the risk in that particular environment. 
It's not, it's not T asking this a paramedic. It's not absolutely a contraindicated. Right. But in other words, he's, he's riding in the ambulance and he's getting a report of somebody short of breath. Right. The doc from the base station is yes. going to say, do a breathing treatment. And he's going to go, why am I going to do this? It's like mm-hmm. the doctor's taking that risk. But let right. me ask about, not that, something about that. Not, not a is, risk that a paramedic should take. Do paramedics assume legal responsibility no. for their actions? Well, some, I'm sure, but everything flows to the physician. That's the problem. That's one of the, the problems with like primary care. We so get, they don't have malpractice insurance. But uh, part of the insurance. Yeah. It's part of the uh, yeah, they have ambulance company, but the point is there's no deep pocket there. The physician, my malpractice versus a nurse's, is m- there's a much deeper pocket yeah. to uh, dig into oh, if I've, you sue. I've so you sue, that. yeah, you could sue the, not the paramedic, you I've sue seen the that. ambulance. Because I, I was being sued, but they really just wanted that true. <laughs> I hate to say when that. When was this? The Los Encinas. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Yeah. And I was scared to death. Shelly was scared. Like, I don't have anything, cause, so I figured, like, they're suing me for a million dollars. Fuck them. What are I don't have a million dollars. But then Shelly got all nervous, because she does own a home and stuff like that. You have insurance for that. And you then it was, no, but if we were, you know, they were they were personally, too. They threatened to. Well, they will. And if, if you have coverage of a million dollars and the and the jury or judge decides it's $10 million, Yeah, you're screwed. Yeah. You're screwed. Okay, here is um, I, I just I, I just uh, my 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 you're triggering a little thing for me on this is that the way primary care has to absorb all this and the primary care is deep terribly underfunded and takes all the responsibility and all the liability. It's just it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And, uh, all the decades I've heard about you know oh we're going to empower primary care we're going to get primary care well no you don't even see primary care doctors now they want primary care doctors to supervise fifteen nurse practitioners. That's the and take thing. all that liability. I couldn't even read all those records. Forget, forget properly is assess what he or she, they're doing in I a hospital. I could not, in a hospital outside and in the world. Out, out in the, out in the Australia, outpatient. there's one attending emergency medicine physician and then mid level providers. And I've asked the question: When you start bringing in mid level providers, I'm nothing against them. What is the balance between the physician and the number of? And there's in terms a, there's of liability a big backlash. Well, just in terms of. <laughs> You know, business and industry, business, big business. I, I was on likes. Anson Cooper that night, and I go, well, when you, you're going to see physician extenders. And they went, physician extenders? Oh, my how God, what you? Are you, how dare you? And I was like, that's that's the system you put in place. You put this in place. It's cheaper if you're running a medical system to have them, and PAs and, and NPs. And, 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 and the, the fact is they can do most of the stuff. I have no problem with them doing it. It's the liability that flows upstream that's got to be interrupted, or else it's just impossible to – supervise it to the level that's necessary to, to avoid the liability. But I right? mean, yeah. you, you get into trouble. You have to figure out a way. I try to explain it all the time. I say, listen, doctors are in a tight spot and everybody thinks they're rich and they're oh. not. <laughs> but that's a hard sell. But, but you know, the, what I wanted to say is I changed my insurance so that I could go to that doctor that saved my life that I told yep. you about, right? Yep. Yep. So he's he and his dad are doctors, and they were working like you guys are. Yep. And they just said, fuck it. We'll start our own thing. They have an urgent care. They have their family practice, and they're doing great work in my community. And I'm not the only one that changed my insurance so I can go to them. Yeah. Right? I think mom and pop docs are going to – don't you think they're going to no. do something different? No. They're being asked They're being asked to take a bunch of nurse practitioners in and supervise them. That's what the system's requiring. Them I know, to do. but so doctors are going to step outside of that system like these guys did, and become mm-hmm. a. You can't do that. Then you're concierge, and then you're ethically out of line, and then how dare you? And uh, that's a different thing. To have your own urgent care and your own uh, professionals practice. It's but the it, it, you're charging people ten thousand bucks a month for that kind of service. No, 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 two thousand a year for concierge. Mm-hmm. Two thousand a year. Mm. That's usually what it is, and it's sometimes less. No, it's yeah. like it's eighty bucks every time you go to them plus your insurance. Well, that's just that's not a concierge; that's regular practice. No, but it's good. Yeah, yeah, it's way better than the system I had before or before that. Well, that's just regular practice, and the system as it is is trying to undo that, trying to but make that those doctors. Well, why won't doctors then leave those systems and start these things like these guys did? That's still an insurance company paying the bill here. Eventually, insurances won't allow that to happen. Oh, they won't. Yeah, why not? Because they'll want that doctor to see many, many more patients per hour at a much reduced rate seen by nurse practitioners. We need to educate the public about this because I'm still learning. I'm thinking, educate me about it. Yeah, it's hard to know. I'm thinking these guys left a hospital. They, the dad had worked at and the son was working at and said, fuck it, and started their own thing. And they're no, so Bob, great. Bob, Bob, 
I've been practicing like that as long as you've known me. Oh. As long as you've known me. I have a, Remember that office I have in South Pasadena? Yeah. I've, I do exactly that. But it doesn't have urgent care. We could do that. It'd be no big deal. But it's, it's almost impossible. To do you know how reassuring it is to know that if my daughter breaks her arm, I can be there and the doctor yeah. I know will deal with it in five minutes? Yeah. Do you know that people would Bob, pay Bob, whatever? Bob, I call and text and email my patients all day, every day. Well, all other day, doctors don't. Yes, they do. Done properly, they do. Oh, he's going to defend all doctors. No, not all doctors. <laughs> no, no, I didn't sell that. I said done properly, they do. That's how we were trained. We're done properly, do. But the practice that I run has almost never made a profit. It's impossible to do it that way and actually make a living. And so, and they're going to make it truly impossible. Is that what so. you found too, Bruce? Did you do it before you worked no, at the big I'm, company? No, I'm in a different situation. An emergency medicine or for a large medical system. That's so a different I was thing. Never in that. That's a different thing. It's not an internist out practicing in the world. That's standard. That's what we do. That's how, that's how we practice medicine. All right. Uh, you just have to go to make an appointment and show up. That's all. It's but- so reassuring. Just say, to tell, let me tell you, as a consumer, I am so much reassured that February 1st, I can call this guy and go there anytime. I don't have to worry. He's there for my whole family. Yeah, that's just that's that, all. Well, we haven't all. had doctors like that, Drew. Maybe they do in Pasadena. We haven't had doctors like that in America for 20 years. Bob. That's all you had until twenty years ago. Now, now you have. Right. Now you have fewer of those. Now you have fewer of those. But okay. that's all you had until twenty okay. years. Ago. Now you have fewer of those, and and the way the system is going, you're going to have way fewer of those. Do you know why you get so many doctor calls, you guys? That you have your own podcast and all these questions because there aren't doctors answering those patients' questions. Well, having time to answer questions like that is difficult. I, I grant you that. All right, it's oh, getting gonna, worse. Yeah, it's it's getting okay. It's go. Getting bad. I I. I just choose to lose money every month in my practice. <laughs> I do. And just do it the way I'm supposed to do it. That's all. That's the way it goes. Um, are you criticizing the current Me Too movement? No. You said to a guest on your podcast that young men are terrified of being falsely accused of sexual assault. I've seen that. You, you, you seen said that? the college campuses have the uh, it's agreement, like crazy. right? Well, they're like very anxious. They, they're really trying to do what's right, and they're very anxious about it. On Adam and Drew podcast, you said it's wrong that men's careers are ruined from false accusation. No, I said it's, I said it's wrong that you can be accused of murder and have due process and get at most five years in or seven years in prison if it's second degree murder. While if you are even suggestive of your hand being in the wrong place during a picture, you will lose your livelihood yeah. without due process, right. without anything. And that's my problem. But here's not not that it shouldn't stop. Not that it's Let's not a good thing. Let's delve into this. Just there's no due Let's process. Let's delve into this because. Do you really think Louis C.K. is done for the rest of his life? Somehow this whole thing is going to find its own footing and it's going to find its own forgiveness. And two or three years from now, he will be allowed or whatever it is, right? So so will Al Franken. I see Al Franken running again or doing something. That show's over. Yeah, there are certain things that have been destroyed because of it, right? Charlie Rose show. uh, uh, It's terrible. Although but, some of his behavior may but, be worse than but we know. But we're all going to learn as the Me Too movement happens. What happened with Louis is he had this great show with Albert Brooks, which I couldn't wait to see or hear. Yep. And it was all canceled. Now, people lost their jobs. There's people here Lots that of relocated people. to Los Angeles oh, to yeah. be on that show. Those The powers that be wanting to punish Louis yeah. weren't thinking about those 300 people that had those jobs. Absolutely wise And wrong. so when we – I think calmer waters will prevail and we'll talk about these things of what happened as a result of that. It was – it was righteous and it w- it was it was needed, okay. but now how do we move forward? So how because do you, you how do we do that? How do we get a due process into we, this? I think Al Franken needs to lead the way. I I think I and, wish he should and not one, have stepped one down. One bone to pick I have with you is Me? that woman who accused him. It's me. Uh, uh, well, it's your friend. She accused him, and in her statement of accusation, said she didn't want him to lose her yes, job. Yes. What the fuck did she expect was going to happen? I, I was there when she did it. I, and right, I, Bruce. What do you think? Well, Bob, a, 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 an unpopular liberal politician in a time of conservatism is going to be a. I think are that, you kidding? Right. That she was wanted poli- him to lose her job. I, I, I was there that morning, and she did not, and was more. Well, why isn't she more, talking she now? Did. What she did. She did. She did. She went crazy and said, "You got to be kidding! This is ridiculous." And nobody was, paid attention because you know who asked him to step down. The, his, his Democratic right. Pelosi. Pelosi. Just in case That's Moore insane. got yeah. That That's was a insane. political process. If Moore got elected, his stepping down was going to be a content. Was going to be okay. Now this see, guy has see to how go. great we are. Moore's got to go. Yeah. 
No, it, well, that's politics. But right, that's she's hideous. the that's one what that caused hideous. the balls to fall. Yeah, but into she did effect. not have any intention. If you can't, Believe you me. she once she makes a statement, she can't control that. That's true. And so now if she, she knows. didn't want and now that. I know. She yeah. shouldn't have said that. Yeah. Right. Well, is that fair enough to say? If no. she had a really, if she had a reasonable belief that that would happen, and she really did not want to, then yes. But she did not have a reasonable belief that, that would happen. She was mortified and in disbelief when it happened. In the era, in this p- political climate, you didn't think he was going. to... I knew as soon as I it happened, it. I couldn't he's going to be. He's going to have to resign. I, was, I knew it. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. I was gobsmacked. Oh, that was crazy. Yeah, that, but it was a political. I, I remain, no, I remain in denial about it. What you guys live in? I, because, he was accused and they had pictures of him looking all lascivious. Yeah, and he's a comedian in a weird, stupid pose right. that she was asleep. Does the American media look like something that dis- discerns things like that? Not the right media, now. no. But and uh, people had right to be outraged of it, and to be, and to particularly to think, you know, how hubristic of people who are telling us how to behave—they're the ones engaged in this behavior. I was, I was outraged. I like Al Franken. He should not have lost his job. That was crazy to me. He should have been before the ethics committee, which is what was going to happen. He should have gone before the ethics committee and had his day in court before the ethics committee and taken whatever punishment they gave him. But his sacrificial lamb. He was sacrificed by his party. Party. It's crazy. But that I was crazy. If someone return, if someone's ability to be redeemed or to return, like there's Louis no CK, redemption in this. Well, not redemption. Not but I think now. It, not it also now. depends on your. But pattern. there will be. Right. Is it predatory? What was the pattern of abuse? You know, someone that was uh, tying people okay, down. Okay, so are there two categories of the Me Too movement? Is there the Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer, power and control part of the Me Too movement? And then there's the, the and Roy Moore might be in that category. And then there's the Al Franken... Is Louis C.K. in the Harvey Weinstein category or is he in the Al Franken category? The things he did were 15 years ago. Who, who? Louis, Louis C.K. You no, know, Louis was closer to Al Franken. I mean, it, was, it was outrageous yeah. and inappropriate. Those, those women didn't work for him. Yeah. That's one thing. Yeah. Right? So, so it, it was an assault. It was an assault of times. And, it, and, was, it was gross and stupid yeah. and sickening. Yeah, yeah. But... But we have to be able to discern this moving forward in 2018, but, but 2019. No, one is. no, no it is. And but the the issue though. Well, that, you're going to get attacked like this letter. No, but the issue is that the power imbalance was not properly addressed, and that's the thing we really got to get used to here, which is how when can somebody render consent? And I had an attorney I was talking to the other day, and she was saying that you know consent can only be rendered if there is not undue influence or or, or a. Uh, a power imbalance, like a teacher can't, a te- student oh. can't consent to a teacher, or a patient can't consent to a police a, officer arresting someone. Right, a, and and an intern and a president or an intern and Matt Lauer, that person cannot consent. And I said, well, what about out in the world? Well, it's a little unclear. I said, to follow your logic, if out in the world that still applies, then celebrities can, rich people can only date rich people, and celebrities can only date celebrities them because there's a power imbalance if they're dating somebody different from from where their where their power situation. Or there's is. a class, and, that, and, or, and or you class. can't do it out of class. So what do we do with that? Because I do, I don't believe that. I believe that people should be able to date whoever they want and socialize and be free to do whatever out in the world. In the workplace, no. In the workplace, absolutely not. In a professional environment, absolutely, I totally get that. So we have to sort of start to differentiate the, between the workplace That was my the, distinction with Louis. Yeah. These were two girls that he knew that you invited them back to the hotel. But there was a power imbalance. They were comedians. He's a comedian. They wanted. They some, don't work for him. No, but they wanted. They, there was a power imbalance still. That's what the part that has to be contended with. And I don't know what the answer is. Well, I think it was the sex also uh, when there was intimacy and a relationship, or was it just a one night? No, that was a that was a bit but, of miscalculation. No, but terrible. I mean, with anybody, <laughs> putting your, are you putting yes. yourself at risk? Yes. If, if you have a power, a slight, even a slight power imbalance, and you have sex on the first date versus being in a relationship where you could show a track record of even in a relationship, I would argue that's that you're mis- misappropriating. That's not. That's not. Mm-mm. So what do you that, think? Look, the come new up? NBC, the new NBC rules: you can't ride in a taxi cab with somebody you work with, you can't hug somebody you work with for more than a second. Oh, you right. seen the rules they they put out? Yeah, you can't take a vegan to a steakhouse. That was one of their rules. You love all this. Can, well, I think it's like a physician. <laughs> but, Drew takes the outliers and makes it seem like we all all us liberals agree with that bullshit. <laughs> no, but I. I think some of these things are what we would do as physicians with female patients, right? I mean, you don't. There's certain yeah, things that's right. You just don't. And by do the way, I, I've decided I am an ultra liberal. 
Oh, I've, I've decided kidding. that. I've decided I am. You're weak. on the other side Com- of it? Compared to, what's, compared to what's going on right now. It's I, fascism I, I'm starting what's to, going on. Yes, I'm starting to feel like a liberal. So, so I'm just, I'm, I want that <laughs> He's territory. He's a progressive. I'm ta- I, want that, I want that territory. He's because, a progressive conservative. No, because I, I, I like. I Too like, many labels. Like, I, I, think, like, I think we ought to help people pay for college. I think we ought to give women's rights complete. I think women ought to be the ones determining what we do with the pro-life versus not. Women themselves determine that. They, I'm, I'm becoming ultra-liberal. Ultra I'm scared. And, but it's, it's really libertarianism. I'm scared. This guy's liberalism. Right. Here's what I'm fearful of. So I believe that men are in considerable positions of power and hiring power and and ownership and corporate boards so there will be less opportunity for women that's what i want i think the me too movement has to consider that all right let's get a question here uh, this yeah. is uh i are there legitimate 90-day residential suboxone programs our 27 year old just stepped his third rehab he's on gabapentin and baclofen i'm not a baclofen fan bruce i don't know how you feel about that I think Backflip has been grotesquely overused. I don't see any good use for it these days myself. For his AS, AS, what is the Gabapentin and Backflip for his AS are barriers to getting into sober living. For his, I don't know, AS, autistic spectrum, maybe? Autism spectrum, I don't know. You guys talked about this. Okay. I ask about residential programs because we will not pay for his rent if he's not in a structured setting. Good. On my insurance for now. So are there good... So I think the question is, are the 90-day residential structure programs that allow for medication? Gabapentin? I mean, yeah, I can't imagine a place refusing that, but I think they probably, I think it's probably Suboxone in reality that they're yeah. resisting. And there are programs out there that There's allow. all of them. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's a program that quoted you as being their guru. That are you serious? Wouldn't, yeah. They, they won't even use Suboxone for detox. Good. I, I always – you know, we, when Bob and I were, were running the hospital-based program, I'd always say, look, Suboxone, benzos – Go to go to this part of the hospital. They'll give you that the dual diagnosis, whatever. No problem. Go here's a good doctor. They will take you up to that part of the hospital to get that kind yeah, of treatment. Yeah, they went right in the same. We hospital. we give a abstinence treatment here, strictly speaking, and that's what we do here. We do it well. We do it great, and and we're not going to adulterate it with something maybe else. Maybe if that doesn't work, you know, we're always around. We're always yeah, here. Try it later. Come back you to know us, I mean? you know, if you want. It's and no that's problem. the attitude we had about Suboxone in the beginning. Right, I still have it. I still kind of do. No, I went really anti it because I oh, felt like yeah. I felt like here's my evolution of it. I'll tell you, it's happened Bruce. recently because you were so, anti last time I talked so, to you. No, no, I I've been pro it about three years now. Okay, when used properly. Okay, right. Treatment doesn't work for millennials. It doesn't work like it does for baby boomers or Gen Xers. It doesn't. Or it needs I'm to, there it, every fucking day for the last 19 years. It doesn't click. The biopsychosocial approach to addiction doesn't fit this generation. So those that it, that it does is amazing, but it doesn't fit a majority of them. So we need alternatives, right? Shelly didn't want to say on that show, they, they don't insist on 12 steps. I, no, right? she was clear about that. Mo- most places nowadays don't because of the millennials who are just not going to go and you're, you're painting yourself into a corner. Now, there are the old holdouts that think, like, whatever, whatever, you know, that are never going to change. That's fine, too. We need them. Right. But, but we, Suboxone isn't stepping up and creating its own world. I think we need more sober livings that are Suboxone savvy, Suboxone treatment savvy. We need treatment centers that, that are. Mm, no, Not mostly so it's They're still mixed. It's, well, what about Vivitrol monthly? Injection? I'm super fan of right, that. Right, me too. I, I, I think it's I, about I, as effective. I, as I want to start. What is the problem with the with this the uh, Vivitrol inj- the naltrexone implant. implants? Yeah. yeah, I mean, why don't we get those going? Well, those they're been, going. There's a, it's a for profit company though. It's very I, expensive. I know it's, it's a crazy thing, thing around. The it, guy but, wants to be on here. It's a friend of Chris Bohm's. He's got the company. Well, I, I love naltrexone. You want to have the naltrexone company guy well, on? I'm hearing though that they're doing weird patient sort of. Paybacks and kickbacks, and people are taking them out of their arm and reselling them. And no, stuff. that's what I heard. No, that's what I heard. You know. Well, Vivitrol, <laughs> you can't take out of your butt. So. No, I know Vivitrol. I'm a big fan. It's six hundred bucks a shot, though. It's twelve. Oh, it's, oh, it's twelve hundred bucks now. Thirteen hundred. I've heard. Oh my god, that's just. Well, why not take naltrexone every day in a pill? It doesn't work. Why would the Vivitrol work I don't that much better? But just, I, it's no better at placebo in those studies I've seen. I used to use it back in the day, and it had some effect. It did, I won't say it's placebo, but. But uh, I always wonder why. If you had your, if you had a choice between 
it's your own child, let's say, 19-year-old son, and you have a choice between insisting that he take a treatment that you know is not going to work for him. Like what? 12-step absence-based treatment. Okay. Or something that will get him, keep him alive yeah, of course. until, uh, you, you, that's how parents need I, to look I, at right. it. Well, unfortunately, that's how they do, then, then it then becomes no No, they no think choice. it's a solution for life. Right. There's right, a right. difference. Right, 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 right. It's the, it's the bridge to 25, 26, 27, right. 28, where you wake up and now reality can pierce in, Right. Is that the best way to look at it? I, I, yes, I do. I hope I, it's always a, br- a bridge. A, a bridge is the right metaphor. A bridge right. is the right but, metaphor. But or... the doctors who are selling the Suboxone, I hate to say it, Bruce, they sell it as like six months or a year. I always say, do you're going to do it for five years, six years, seven years, low dose, two milligrams, you can get off of it, whatever. You know what I'm saying? They don't sell it like that. They always are in abstinence world acting like they are kind of abstinent. And yeah. six months from now, you're going to be just great. And it never works out. Here's they need to be more realistic about what is our plan. We have a bunch of professionals here. We're all assessed you. We think you should be on this four to eight milligrams for three or four or five years, and let's get you therapy and get you yeah, – yeah. yeah. right? Yeah. No, that's what I do. do these doctors in the West the other Side thing, Malibu don't do that. They always act like, it's oh, it's just going to be six to nine there, there's months. One of the, the, there is a scandal the whole thing too that all the Suboxone data and all, a lot of the Suboxone patients are using some other substance. If you Not look at the a lot. The pot, a, a big pot is a big one. A lot of them are using another substance. They really are. But pot and Suboxone, they are using it. I'm scared when they use the benzos and they don't tell me. But I've had there, that a hundred times where they're look really at the, taking look, benzos and they oh, know benzos is look, my look, no-go zone. Look at the Suboxone research. There's, there's, there, the things I have trouble with is... It's not recommended for physicians. It still is not. It's, it's, yeah, but doctors are elitists. Oh, they never oh, think of themselves like on, the rest of on. us. <laughs> all, all, the vast majority of the data is done on unobserved urines. The ones that are good and are done on cheek swabs and, and saliva and whatnot are not done for other drugs. And and something like 70% of Suboxone patients admit that's to why other it's, drugs. It's only about survival, so, Drew. Yeah. I'm telling okay, you, it's not about you, not doing pot or not doing you. Coke. All right, you guys, we got a, we got a break. We're going to uh, have another – we're going to switch gears entirely in the next segment and talk about palpitations with Bruce and I. Uh, my publicist had a story about a arrhythmia, and we're going to bring an electrophysiologist in here, Dr. Velma Torres. Great. Okay, good. Well, Bob, do you have us all your – since we're letting you go right now to switch to a medical well, topic. Well, I, you know, I went you? through some, a bunch of stuff the last six weeks, two months, and I'm back at Aloe, the place I started in Malibu, and – you know they're the they're the best of of you know I just love it out there. Good. I love those guys. So I'm back out in Malibu at Aloe. I do the groups. It's fun. You know, I just hate Malibu. I know that's so <laughs> crazy, Bruce. Would you the rather taint. Would you rather switch jobs, Bruce? Why don't you go work in Malibu every day and I'll go to San Bernardino? Marine. <laughs> I love my patients, but Moreno Valley leaves. Yeah, Moreno Valley, desired. Malibu, probably. <laughs> gravitate towards okay. you just don't you don't like the taint of Malibu it's all it's just something about yeah. it I don't know but I'm right. out there and it's fun and take a little break be back with the <laughs> new topic well we're so pleased to have Hydrolyte back Hydrolyte is something that we and my family use just about every day and it is simply the best oral rehydration product I have ever seen and there are many reasons you should keep some around. I got the flu I relied on Hydrolyte because I knew it would rehydrate me the way an IV fluid would We all have heard about the flus and the diarrheas, and they all knock you out. Staying well hydrated is critical to getting over these conditions. Even if you manage to avoid getting infected, your schedule is half as busy as mine. Getting eight glasses of water a day isn't likely to happen. And you don't need it if you've got the proper hydration product, Hydrolyte. That is the beauty. Whether you're sick or not, you can absolutely benefit from proper balance of sodium, glucose, and water. Hydrolyte does this better than a sports drink or water alone. That's right, better. It comes in great flavors like orange berry lemonade. It's available in a pre-mixed powder. My personal preference is a little effervescent tablets. You can simply drop in a bottle of water or a glass of water, and you're done. You got it, and you are rehydrated. And compared to sports drinks, Hydrolyte delivers up to four times the electrolytes with 75% less sugar. I know. Don't buy into the hype of the brands. Use Hydrolyte. It's a better product. I'm telling you, I had intended to invent it. They got there first, so I'm all behind them. Hydrolyte solutions are appropriate for all ages, and each bottle or package includes easy-to-follow dosing instructions. Order Hydrolyte today, hydrolyte.com slash drdrew. That is hydrolyte.com slash drdrew. And for a limited time, our listeners can save 30% on Hydrolyte. 
we actually buy in bulk in our family. So we're going to click through. Believe me, just click the banner on my site and use the code DrDrew18. That is D-R-D-R-E-W-18. Joining us is Valerie Allen. She happens to be my publicist. Yes. And she had a little thing with palpitations. I and did. And then, then we're going to welcome in a specialist. So quickly tell your story. Um. Well, first of all, Drew, I can't believe I've never been on your podcast before. Okay, what, what, so we're starting passive aggressive. We're, <laughs> still, we're, starting, we're, starting, we're starting with, with mean, little Soros here. Okay, okay. Well, I apologize. You know what Adam Carolla says about publicists, right? Oh, yeah. He, she knows because she's been his publicist yeah, yeah, that time. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was a very odd thing that happened to me. I went, um, I think, for a regular checkup. I don't remember why I went to the doctor, and um, they did an EKG. Um, I was sort of having like palpitations. You were you were aware of it? No, I didn't. Ha- I just had like a one little sharp pain. So you experienced it as a pain, as not, a pain, not as an yeah. awareness or no. a bump or a Mm-mm. okay. And I thought mm, stress, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Coffee, coffee. Who knows? So um, I thought, well, I'll go over. They did an EKG, and the doctor said, "So, uh, do you want an ambulance to the hospital, or oh are you going to drive yourself?" Oh my god. <laughs> By the way, that's not. You're not to, I said, really? You're not supposed to choice. Give, that's not a choice you're supposed to give somebody. Yeah. They either need an ambulance or they do not. But go ahead. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I drove myself to the hospital. Drew, right. you know me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I went to the ER and they admitted me immediately and just started with the test. They ran the EKG again, which I think I emailed to you to okay. look at because I had no idea. And what did it try to remember? Um. There was um, just an irregularity. Dude, that doesn't help. <laughs> right. I mean, that's what they said. They said it could. They they didn't know, so they continued to do testing. Okay. And um, turned out to be nothing. Turned out to be nothing. I did the whole spectrum of tests. Can, can you find that EKG for, for us? And we'll all take a look at it. Is it available? I can try and find it. Yeah. It's probably on your phone. Thank you. <laughs> Again, I'm running a podcast. Thank you for the past aggression. <laughs> so, but if and and did they give it a name when it was all done? No. Did they give you any medication for it? No. Did they tell you what to do if it comes back again? No. Okay. And so it's something you're not even aware of anymore, you don't have anymore, you don't think about it anymore? No. Did it motivate you to stop smoking or anything else, being passive aggressive? Um, I think I had already stopped smoking oh, at that a, point. Oh, that's the problem, and I, I think see. Yeah, that was the problem, exactly. <laughs> okay. I, I had already stopped smoking. Um, so you didn't go to the ER? You never ended up in the emergency I, room? Or no, I she, go, she was hospitalized. Oh, you were hospitalized? Yeah. yeah for Based two, on what? What That's was, why I want to see what the rhythm is. It's not just an irregularity. There must have been something about it that bothered them. So here's what we'll do. I promise I'll let you go. Before I do, where should people go if they want a great publicist? ValerieAllenPR.com. There's where you go. And then we now will talk behind your back. You can go <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. All I right. have now Vilma Torres. She's a professor of medicine, both at Western Reserve, Case Western Reserve in Ohio, and also here at UC Riverside. Welcome to the program. Thank we you. really appreciate you being here. So I know all of us have giant thought bubbles with question marks over yeah. our head like what could they possibly have seen that was ended up being nothing that would have caused them to hospitalize a woman relatively young woman well, I guess the smoking puts her in a little bit of a different category but I just imagine it would have been little runs of SVT or a PVC and let's talk about what all those things are and, and I agree with you I was trying to figure that out because it's a little bit odd and it's really frightening for the patients yes. when you are told you need to go to the emergency department you think you're having a heart attack but I probably think that it's probably a PVC yeah. premature ventricular contraction it shouldn't be said contraction actually if you want to be a purist being a cardiologist electrophysiologist it's a depolarization it's an electrical it's an extra beat and so let me, let me spell out uh, Dr. Torres is an electrophysiologist. Describe what that is to people. So as a cardiologist, you are board certified cardiologist, and then we do extra training specifically in the field of arrhythmias or palpitations, rhythm disorders, so electrical it's really, rhythm it's disorders. The way, the, the way the heart deals with its electrical the electrical system. The electrical system. And, and a lot of people don't understand that the heart muscle is not only itself, each muscle a little electrical agent, but there are pathways within the heart that are specialized, the Purkinje system for conducting electricity and all the kinds of different heart diseases you can get into have all kinds of very complex effects on those systems. Would that be about the way to say it? So, kind of, yes. And, and what I try to tell patients is that the, the heart is like a house and you have the major frame and then you have the plumbing, which is the arteries, and then you have the electrical system. Because when patients think like like her, you know, you have a heart problem, then they think it's immediately it's the arteries. But you can have perfectly normal arteries, you can have a perfectly normal frame, which your pumping function is normal, but then your electrical system is out of whack. Yeah. Or transiently or could be permanently. 
And I had a, I had a transient right bundle branch, which is a to get a, a it was when I was listening weights heavily. I wondered if I maybe had some hypertrophy of the spect of the septum or something too. It's possible. Yeah, and it, I I remember that. Oh, I just got a right bundle branch. I was one of the little blocks. You're looking at me like wow. it went away. Because it went away. It went away a hundred years ago. Yeah, it was it was present when I was younger, and it went away. It could have been rate related too. Weight, is, weight related? Rate related. Rate related. Rate, which is, it all depends. Now, this is a fairly new area of cardiology, correct? You were one of the first people in the field. Not that you originated, and I'm not making any claims <laughs> for you. But it, it, when we trained a long time ago, there was no... There was there was not. But but then I, I finished my fellowship in 1985. So it's something that has been developing for years. But I think in the past 20 years, the field has gone from just diagnosis to actually doing more than just giving medications. We actually can fix people, right. which is important about things with technical catheter ablation. It is a destruction of the tissue. Ablation means just to destroy. Right. So we can actually destroy the abnormal spots. We don't do it for everyone. Not everyone is a candidate, but it's a great option. There's people who suffer with arrhythmias for many years, for decades, you know, and, and many, especially women, uh, they are usually said, well, it's just hysterical, it's anxiety, but they really... Have, I have fixed so many arrhythmias in women like that. Uh, and you can actually don't have to take medications for 10 to 20 years. And pre- premature ventricular contractions, as they're called, even though they're misnomers, are things that are exceedingly common. They're quite normal in a normal heart, though in a heart that has been damaged with heart disease, it may be something different. But in a normal heart, we, as internists or an ER doc, even you see that all the time, uh, it can be very unpleasant. People kind of feel like they're like, like I, I, I think there seems to be some sort of uh, endocrine response oftentimes when people literally get sort of a, right. I, I had them for a while I, I could feel like an adrenaline surge and it was not just anxiety I felt like my body was reacting to them how do we help people understand that when they need to worry when they don't with these things yeah so that's very important because we have gone through phases in terms of the medical decision making and what we needed to do we came through the phase for many many years ago when a patient has the premature beat we treat everything and and, and we would treat them and every thought it was life threatening oh, and people God. would get sent to the emergency department oh, etc because it was going to be a harbinger of sudden cardiac death yeah but it, it doesn't necessarily have to be but if the patients are having more symptoms uh shortness of breath if they have chest discomfort, if they feel dizzy, lightheaded, then they need to go see their physician. The importance of it is that we don't want to totally ignore them. Lifestyle changes are very important because, like I said, we've gone through phases of treatment. Years ago, we would tell patients, oh, it's a PVC, it's a totally benign. Now we have to be a little bit more careful because if the burden is very high, that we mean more than 10% of all your total heartbeats in 24 hours, then you need to be a little bit more careful because they can lead to what we call dyssynchrony of the heart muscle. That means that you're not contracting. Is Think of the heart ringing like a towel to be effective. So if you're dyssynchronous, then you can lead to a cardiomyopathy. So it's important to recognize the burden and try to make sure that that gets addressed. That's a parasystole specifically. No, not parasystole, any PVC. PVCs in general. Even if it's a bigeminal sort of reentrant kind of whatever. So we want to make sure that if you have a high burden because you have too many of these. If patients are symptomatic and some people are so miserable, like you said, oh, they feel every single extra beat, even if it's a few and it doesn't mean that it has to be potentially lethal or bad. Mm -hmm. The danger comes in in the patients who don't feel anything. They don't feel them at all. And then they have right. 20% PVCs. And the next thing, those are the patients I don't want to miss. Right. Her, fortunately, was probably caffeine. It was probably stress. It's all fine and good. The patients who don't feel it, who have a very high burden, who could potentially end up with a muscle disease we call cardiomyopathy. It causes the muscle or maybe it's a harbinger of the muscle disease? That is a quick question. The chicken and the egg yeah. is always big, but I think it's very Either clear. way, it needs, it needs careful observation. It needs, yeah. it needs to be not observation, yeah. but dealing with it. Yeah. Dealing with it. So that uh, the, I think that even the chicken and the egg question is that if you have such a high burden, you do everything to treat the muscle issue, but then deal with that. So the other thing Dr. Torres does in her, her discipline is they put pace makers in and defibrillators in. I remember defibrillators were those giant things in the chest. Right. And now, now they're really, I mean, I think that's been one of the major advances of medicine. People don't give that one enough kudo. That to, is true. Implantable defibrillators. I, I don't know how it's affected life expectancy so much, but I certainly know it's made me feel more secure in patients that have high risk for that kind of thing. No, it's really a lifesaver. Yeah. The data is very clear yeah. for those patients in whom it's appropriate. It's a lifesaver. In the emergency department, seeing more and more people come in with what you Secondary, there's a lot of kids drinking tons of energy drinks, more 
you know, Starbucks, stronger coffee. So these these rapid coffee. rhythm disturbances too. And, so. and then smoking pot, you get, you know, I think I used to read, say, two things that are predictable. You get uh, uh, red eyes red eyes, and tachycardia, yeah. benign tachycardia. Yeah. But they're drug-related, and then we have lots. I mean, I'm seeing cocaine and methamphetamine, right, and, right. but a lot of cardiac stuff coming comes in the ER, and then you're doing your EKG, and uh, I don't know if people miss a lot of that, or, you know, what the underlying cause is. Well, they miss the, the substance the, use, or they substance, miss the cardiac they, part? No, they miss the substance use. Yeah. People come in because they have a rapid heart yeah, rate, yeah, but they're yeah. not telling. Yeah, and yeah. then car- cardiac syndrome from drink, alcohol, right. that's another thing. Yeah. Uh, Lots of well, people ones. don't tell, and that's it, it, that's exactly correct. Uh, and it's not only benign. You know that you have seen people. I have seen people die suddenly from cocaine. Right. So cocaine the, the, and mixtures of the, all the Alcohol. stuff that is getting really mixed. So it's really a very serious problem. Yeah. Uh, and many times they come in because of those palpitations. Nothing else brings them into the emergency department except the feeling you're going to die and think you have a heart attack. But no one says anything, and the drug screens are not done, and then it continues. What kind of advances are there in monitoring or detecting? Because our, our job is to find out what these rhythms are, define them specifically. We have to see them electrically on a EKG or so something. So there, there's been some advances other than the event monitors. That's that's what we go to. Event the monitoring means these things you put on your chest and you know when you feel exactly. the symptoms, but sometimes it's already it's gone. It's a tape but, recorder. But by the time they get it there, it's already gone. That's the problem I have with it. Or it's a tape the recorder or, for yeah. your heart rhythm. And if, if it becomes a problem and, and patients continue to have it, and by the time they get to the emergency room department, they get to the parking lot and the arrhythmia is gone. And they go on and on and it's a vicious cycle. For some of those patients, we use loop recorders, which are very tiny microchips. Uh, they are about the size, smaller than a little trident piece of chewing gum is how, what I tell my patients. And those can be injected almost like with a little syringe right underneath in the area of the chest in the fourth intercostal the space mm. uh, in by the uh, breastbone, mm-hmm. the sternum, the breastbone. And... Five min- less than five minutes, and it battery life is about three hours. I mean, three years, sorry, three years, and you can actually detect all these rhythms. Do you monitor them on the phone or something? Or they, they can be monitored. Yeah. They, they, there's a couple of different Computer companies ways. that have different monitoring systems, but patients don't need to know anything. It heals. What, what excites you looking forward in the future of electrophysiology? Because you guys, you guys have been able to do so much. Oh, it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. What, what's got you going forward? <laughs> it's uh, uh, looking forward to the betterment of the leadless pacemaker systems we can do them with single leads in the ventricle but doing the whole systems two or three leads in a very leadless fashion yeah I think, can you make it so we can keep doing mris on our patients and things oh they too? do can now yeah right but now, even then they always are. right no no but they are getting yeah. much more mri yeah. uh the conditional devices yeah. are, are are better i think we. i, need I wish to, they would think about they always think about that because that becomes an issue later you yeah know? it is but, but it's getting to be much yeah. better yeah uh, patients need to know that their centers that can do MRIs, even though they're devices. And so right. there's a great yep. literature yep. that came out recently about that. Um, the, they're doing catheter ablations for atrial fibrillation in a much easier way and cure. That's been kind of the holy grail, getting the atrial fibrillation which is the Which is the top part of the heart, the atrium having irregular heartbeat, not, not bum, 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 bum. Bum 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 bum. It's bum 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 bum. Exactly, you got it. And it's it's the one that is associated with the greatest risk of stroke, and it has to be taken seriously. The other thing I've noticed a lot of my particularly women with AFib get leg edema. Is that something you've noticed? It is. I don't know what is that. Well, I think it's related to the diastolic possible diastolic transient diastolic dysfunction and issues. Yeah, and so for those women, I always thought, oh, I'd like to get them. I'd like to get them ablated and fixed, right? Yes, I think yeah. so. I think that not everybody needs an ablation, but it needs to be considered. Uh, what percentage going forward do you think can expect a, a, a single ablation curing atrial fib? The low-hanging fruit patients. Yeah, if you get them, if you pick them right, if, if you, you pick, them, pick right. them correctly, I think that is reasonable to say that is sixty-five, seventy percent, and for other patients, it could be even a little bit better. And I think people get a little freaked out about wires in the heart. And stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> but but it's it's very very safe procedure, is it not? Yes, it is. In fact, you're probably safer. Sitting there with Doctor Doctor Torres with a wire in your heart, then running, you know, sprints because she can she can correct anything while she's there. <laughs> so, well, listen, we really appreciate you being here. Just an opportunity impromptu. for us to, yeah, impromptu. We, uh, we saw you. We took advantage of it just to do a little primer on uh, palpitations because these are common things people have with that important we address. Oh, it, so. I love to teach about arrhythmias. Thank you so much. <laughs> Take care. That about does it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Reminder, you can find all the family of pods at drdrew.com, the Drew podcast, Adam and Drew, This Life, Weekly Infusion. And keep an eye out for the new health and fitness show that we have with Mike Catherwood coming your way. It's called Swole Patrol. Mike named it as such. 
And of course, our friends at uh, the last house and Hydrolite. Again, I can't say enough about Hydrolite. It's uh, the best oral fluid replacement system I know of. I like those fizzy tablets especially. And we'll see you next time. Remember, you can find all these podcasts at drdrew.com. The Dr. Drew podcast, the This Life podcast, and the Adam and Drew podcast, which is available five days a week. Find them all on iTunes and rate us five stars. Subscribe and get it first. And if you're really happy, click on the Amazon banner at drdrew.com to help support the show. We'll thank you for it. If you join the email list via drdrew.com slash contact, we'll send you a weekly infusion newsletter with Dr. Drew's News. We're so grateful when you get in touch. We read all your emails and we'll bring you the subject matter you want to hear about. You live.